Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and if you've arrived here, there must be a reason. I'm guessing you're curious to learn more about improving your wellbeing alongside ADHD, or maybe looking for some advice or guidance to feel healthier and calmer. So, why start this podcast? I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and I discovered my own ADHD alongside one of my daughters at the age of 40. And now, after supporting many other women just like me, and probably you, I feel there's a need for more emphasis on well-being and lifestyle help for women with ADHD. And through the podcast, I want to offer you new insights and perspectives to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and balanced life. So wherever you are on your ADHD journey, my aim is to support you in finding the awareness and the most aligned tools to enhance your well-being so you can make the most intentional mindset and lifestyle choices moving forwards. Ready to get started? Here's the episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. And I'm really excited about this week's guest because I have read her book, absolutely loved it, and I'm thrilled to have her on the podcast. So today we've got Dr. Catherine Kelly, PhD, and Dr. Kelly is a geography lecturer and wellbeing practitioner for many years. She lives in Brighton and she's lectured in many different universities and she's also got a second degree in stress management and professional diplomas in mindfulness. She is also the director of Core Journeys and Chill Squad, which is her well-being organisations, and of Wild Blue School in Brighton, which is a coastal education and well-being project. All sounds amazing. And Dr. Kelly is also a board member of the UNESCO Biosphere, which promotes all aspects of sustainable development, learning and living. She is passionate about the sea, learning, nature, and helping both adults and children to enjoy, explore, and relax outdoors in all types of blue space. (laughs) You sound like the type of person I'd be friendly with, actually. So it's lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thanks a lot, Kate. Nice to be here today. So I've got in my hand your book. And before we start, I was recommended this book by a really good friend of mine, and it's called Blue Spaces, How and Why Water Can Make You Feel Better. And a very close friend of mine did something so thoughtful. She sent it in the post and said, I've sent you a little, wrote me a little note and said, I've sent you something that I think will make you really happy. And the next day I opened the Amazon envelope and um, there it was, this book. And, you know, I'm really kind of quite au fait with lots of books that come out and I'd never heard of it. And I was opened it and I started devouring it then and there. I was so happy. Oh, that's good. I decided to go and have a bath and read in the bath. And I very often read in the bath because it's kind of like the only place I can get a bit of quiet time away from my kids. <laughs> and I've never done this before, but I was reading and I dropped the whole book in the bath and I put <laughs> it on my Instagram stories. And it was just kind of like, it made me laugh because the book I was reading all about water and blue space and calming. I was obviously so calm in the bath that it just like slipped out of my hands. But anyway, I've managed to resuscitate it. It went on the radiator for the night and it's looks... Well, I'm really happy that a book about water fell into the water. Other people might not be, but that pleases me quite a lot. And there is actually a bath meditation exercise in there somewhere. So, I think maybe yeah. maybe I was doing the bath meditation. That's how I was so relaxed because I was going to ask you about about that, you know, in our conversation. I loved loved the book and I loved your personal aspect of it. 
And I know that you start the book talking about grief and what you went through after, sadly, the loss of your mum and how you found the healing power of water. I know that you were always loved water, you were always drawn to water, but I think living in Ireland and, but can you tell us a little bit about how you came across these amazing healing powers of being in the water or near the water and where that led you to? Yeah, sure. It's a long drawn out story really, isn't it? Because I think our association with water for many of us starts with our childhood and we all have hopefully not everybody but hopefully we have nice memories of going with our family to the seaside or to the river or the lakes wherever we live or being even taught to swim in a swimming pool is like a really joyful thing for little children squeals of delight so i've had that kind of association for a long time and as you mentioned um yeah my mum very sadly died um when she was 47 just a very random brain hemorrhage out of the blue I was talking to her the night before on the phone. I was living in London at the time and she was in Ireland. And then I just got a call the next day, which I couldn't believe, you know, it was just something that that couldn't sink in. And then obviously over time, the the grim reality sets in, uh, as I'm sure many listeners have experienced that grief and whether, you know, death is expected or sudden, it still changes your life very dramatically if it's a parent or a much loved close friend or family member so I left London and I went back to Ireland and my youngest sister was still in university and my mum and dad had a, a wild flower crafts business on the east coast of Ireland and that was all kind of left suspended so there was a lot of kind of sorting out and fixing up and propping up to be done so I was home um, in that part of Ireland for about a year and then as luck would have it this lovely job was advertised in the west of Ireland that just completely had my name on it it was all the things I'm a geographer by background which means I'm kind of interested in everything and everywhere (laughs) it's a very uh general sort of interest so this lovely job came up in the west of ireland in heritage studies looking at landscape and literature and poetry and archaeology and folklore and all the lovely things that i had missed so much probably living in london and it was in a county that i hadn't been to before county mayo which is north of galway the next one up Uh, and when i went for the interview I went the night before just to, you know, wake up fresh for the interview and so on. And, you know, that evening I just landed in this beautiful little town called Westport. And there's a a gorgeous quartzite pointy mountain, Crowpatrick, which is a kind of sacred mountain in Irish mythology, um, right on the bay. And just, you know, the seas and the ocean there and the scenery. I just felt my shoulders drop for the first time in a year, I'd say. And I just thought, yeah, this is where I have to be. This is the place for me at this moment. And it was very instinctive and very intuitive. Um, And I got the job and I spent six years there and it was really, really healing. And I didn't necessarily tell anybody that I worked with the full story of what had happened because I didn't want to be the kind of, you know, sorrowful person with the sad story. But while I had my game face on at work, and I know people with ADHD often have to put their game face on all the time and pretend they're fine and then find somewhere to put that energy afterwards. 
And I think sometimes grief is like that as well, is that you have to kind of style it out a bit and get on with your, your day job and fall apart a bit later when nobody's watching. But the sea was watching and it was there and it was company. And it was very therapeutic and very healing. And it was just wonderful, you know. And it was, as I said in the book, sometimes the sea was raging and the rain was pouring and the wind was howling. But but that kind of matches our mood sometimes too. I'm not just a fan of calm blue oceans. It's wild seas and rage sometimes needs to match our moods and, you know, sorrow and and then the calm comes afterwards. So I, I'm a great believer in the sea kind of mirroring our own emotions and moods and, and how we handle it, if we can kind of tune into it. Yeah, allow it to heal us um, in the way that we need on whatever specific day, you know, that we're having. Um, and yeah, over time, I just felt much, you know, you never get over, I think, the loss of a, a parent young and suddenly ever, ever, it becomes part of who you are and weaves into your being. But it teaches you lessons about how to live the rest of your life and, and do what matters and and so on. And, you know, after six, seven years, I was offered a job in London. And I went back um, on a career break because I had left kind of suddenly, so interrupted. So I went back to pick up the pieces there, even though it was very hard to leave the west of Ireland and I still often yearn for it as a, a real soul landscape. But over the years I just got into research and my academic work has taken a turn. I got really interested in, in wellness and well-being about 15, 16 years ago before it was like a thing or, you know, the wellness industry and all that stuff. Um, a colleague and I started doing a little bit of research on it about retreats and around women in particular, the need to retreat and, you know, how is it that we can feel better away from home and, you know, what what is it about those kinds of wellness settings that are important for women in particular. So I started doing research on that and then that led me over the years into a real interest in the connection between nature and well-being. And suddenly then I had a whole set of language and theories and concepts to explain what I had felt very intuitively and instinctively, that I just feel better outside and particularly for me by the water. Um, yeah. I think you so beautifully articulate um, how it's just this innate feeling, isn't it, of being by whether the sea is thrashing or it's calm, it can mirror our emotions or it can calm the emotion that we're feeling. And just to know that there is science-backed evidence that goes with the intuitive side of the well-being of, of being by water. You mentioned in the book something, and I think it's a Japanese phrase, but I could be wrong, of living water, of how our how it kind of we mold to the water yeah can you explain a little bit more about that that's a lovely phrase isn't it living water it's this notion um that comes from japanese culture which is that water is not just a passive receptacle it's not just it's not just an element when we get into water and we immerse ourselves in water whether that's your bath or the sea or whatever it is it takes some of you into it. You pour some of yourself into that water and it receives it from you. And if it's stuff that needs to be taken out of you, whether it's grief or stress, 
then the water does that. And if it's something that needs to be brought into you, which might be calm, it might be cold water, <laughs> kind of wake up or whatever it might be, there's a kind of a reciprocal relationship between ourselves and the water. And it's very much a living element. It's not just a thing that's there for us to do things to it or, or, or to use as we want, as if it's you know inanimate in a way, um, which I think is a lovely concept. I think it's a really amazing concept and I really resonate with that because water for me is my ultimate kind of calming tool mechanism. Way before I was diagnosed with ADHD, water for me, I grew up by the sea for about five or six years of my life. And so I would spend most weekends on the beach and I would swim in the sea and I would go swimming in a pool outside. And then swimming for me has just always been something that instantly calms me. I find it meditative, mindful. It takes me out of my head. And I've recently been cold water swimming for the past two years over, it started at the beginning of the first lockdown. Mm -hmm. And we've been doing this my second winter. And actually today I went and it was absolutely freezing. My lips are still blue <laughs> from the swim. I think it was about five degrees in water. And mm -hmm. if I feel like having a, a long swim or if I just need to plunge in, it's just kind of like, just take whatever is. And I knew I was tense. I was stressed. I was... I think there was anger, there was resentment going on this morning. I, I really could sort of name quite a lot of emotions. Um, and you talk about in the book um, connection and the wild swimming groups. And I go with um, two really good friends and we always drive together. So we always sort of go together. We have a laugh in the car. We always have a giggle. We're always racing out of meetings, like trying to coordinate our diaries. But we, if we want to go swimming, it mostly happens once every 10 days we'll make it happen. We'll move meetings. And we went this morning and we had a real laugh in the car on the way there. So already that connection was there. Yeah. It was freezing cold. We got to the lake where we normally swim. No one was there because it was so bloody freezing and the wind had picked up and we were like, what are we doing? No one's here. Normally there's people here and we're, you know, the amateurs. And we all just, we started doing this. Um, we got the Wim Hof app and we started doing the Wim Hof breathing before we got into the and we stood there with our eyes closed and this old man, this really old man that was walking his dog came up to us while we stood there with our eyes closed, meditating into the sun. And he's like, what are you ladies doing? Like literally in our faces. <laughs> and we were like, we just started laughing our heads off because we thought we're trying to be all like well-being with the Wim Hof. And we had this sort of like 80 year old man questioning what we're, what we're actually doing. <laughs> so we, we have as much as we recognize the well-being side and the calming effects of the water, the connection that we have that goes with it. And I see it time and time again, these groups of women, all ages, mm -hmm. you know, whether they're in wetsuits or just skins in their swimming costume, there's laughter, there's encouragement. And I love how you talk about that in the book as well. Like it's yeah. not just the getting into the water, it's, exactly. it's the bigger picture. It's absolutely everything. I mean, I just spoke yesterday at a, gov a government webinar for the Environment Agency on water and well-being, where other people were speaking about physical health and psychological health. And, you know, and I've sat on panels with psychiatrists and medical doctors and I say, right, well, that's great. You know, it's good for your mind. It's good for your body but nobody will receive the benefits to mind and body if they don't feel socially able to get in or they don't feel a sense of community, a sense of belonging or a sense of connection or else they'll do it once and they won't go back. So not for everybody, but I think the social well-being side of things is really, really important because, yeah, 
I mean, we have it in, in the group I swim in, the Salty Seabirds in Brighton. Um, started off with 15 people and it's grown to 4,000 now um, since lockdown. Wow. And people have splintered off, you know, at that size and have their own little subgroups and parts of the beach that they swim on and certain times of the week or times of the day to suit all needs. And it's just really self-regulating. Mm. Um, but seeing all the different bobble hats, <laughs> I cycle to cycle to university and I often see little clusters of bobble hats along the beach and it just makes me smile. And, you know, water is playful. And as adults, we don't often get a chance to be playful and have unfettered joy, you know, just joy for its own sake. It's not a joke. It's not a funny story. It's just very fun, joyful interaction with nature uh, that just makes you smile. You can't get out of water without a big grin on your face unless you know you just got wiped out or something but yeah yeah I mean this much yeah today we got out and we were laughing but we were freezing but it was we did it we all you know the three of us got in and actually there was another couple of women and we all got in together and it's like there's this sense of camaraderie 100 percent and you and I, a sense I, of achievement I think as well you know because yes it turns out doing a resilient thing makes you resilient in the rest of your day yeah, yeah. and that um, I really put it down to getting how I got through the pandemic, homeschooling yeah. my four kids yeah. in a very difficult time with my hus husband's business. I know that, that, and you mentioned the word retreat, that women have to retreat. And very often we've got nowhere to retreat to. And I think there must be such a, a deep connection of why it is a, mostly women. I'm not saying yeah. it's all women at all, because yeah. but where I go, there is a huge community of women that we're all just desperate to go somewhere where we can have this unfettered joy where it doesn't matter what you look like we don't you don't need makeup on no one cares about your body like most of the time like there's boobs out there's bottoms out like people yeah. get and, and that resilience that I got of getting in the water knowing and throughout the seasons knowing that I was getting into cold and colder water made me mentally more resilient to cope with what was ahead with the pandemic yeah, there's physiology research, um, evidence-based research coming out on that now. So the lovely Dr. Heather Massey and Professor Mike Tipton at University of Portsmouth are increasing that, that side of the research, the physiological benefits. So, and it's to do with your stress response. So when your body goes into cold water, it there is a stress reaction to it. But if you keep going into cold water, your body gets used to that stress response, which means you are able to cope with stress in your life in a better way because your body is primed for it. And it, 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 you know what I mean? So it's not just your imagination that you feel a bit more resilient. It's actually to do with your endocrine system and, and more, you know, as well, because your body, you've taught it to kind of react to something and cope with it and come out and carry on. That's yeah. fascinating. And is that a reason why um, it boosts your immune system as well? Yeah, I mean, the immune system is, is different from a stress response system. One is sort of neurology and the other's uh, something else. But yeah, I mean, the, the research is starting to show that the vagus nerve, and I'm going to say starting to show and suggests that I'm really careful about using those words because, you know, there's no definitive this causes that at this point because there aren't enough big studies done. Blue space well-being 
is just at the start of getting all the good research together and some really exciting stuff. I've been on an awful lot of these kinds of things in the last few weeks in particular, but it's starting to attract funding because there's been so many, and I don't like the word anecdotal at all. I always pull people up for using that phrase. There's been so much qualitative and subjective well-being reported. Um, the academic is coming out. <laughs> I know. I just think, well, anecdotal sounds very dismissive, like, oh, well, you know, well, as, and I did correct somebody on on a research government webinar the other day for using that word. And I said, look, you know, well-being has two ways of measuring it. One is objective, where you measure people's health um, indicators. So you measure somebody's heart rate or you measure their blood pressure. And they're really sort of strict measurements that we're all used to for health. And they're objective. You can't make up whether your heart rate is a different, you know, it is actually what it's measured to be and there are scientific ranges of what's healthy but subjective well-being is all about um, people reporting how they feel so subjective well-being could be around positive emotions it could be about how meaningful you feel your life is it could be about life satisfaction um, and so on and that is something that only a person can feel themselves. And if they tell you what they're feeling, to me, that's valid research. It's not anecdotal. That's somebody, and there's a lot of health and, and medical sort of leanings now towards patient and person-led reportage because you, know, you can read all the documentation you want, but if somebody says, no, that's not how I'm feeling, then that's not how they're feeling. Um, and quite frankly, nobody knows that better than than you or I ourselves. And if you um, combine subjective and objective or quantitative and qualitative research together, you start to get a really rich picture of what's happening. But I don't think one is better than the other. Um, they're just different and they're complementary. Yeah. Obviously, with regards to ADHD, because of th this podcast, I know that there is a lot of, sorry to use the word, anecdotal um, evidence or conversations that we whether it's in forums my clients um people that I speak to that mentally and emotionally it bears a weight yes mm -hmm. there's the productivity concentration all of that but very often anxiety and depression low mood um hormonal fluctuations you know come into play with ADHD and especially sort of like negative self-talk lots of self-criticism or low self-esteem what you're talking about there, sort of the physiological side, but also knowing that there is evidence to say that it can help with boosting positivity and it helps boost. Oh, um, absolutely. Our dopamine and serotonin levels increase when we're out in nature and particularly in water. That's what I liked what you said in the book, actually, because you, you'd made a comparison, hadn't you, about green spaces and blue spaces. Mm -hmm. And I'm naturally drawn to nature, anything in nature. I walk my dog every single day. And if I don't, that I kind of I can feel it mood wise. Mm -hmm. But when I'm by water, it's a different elevation of mood. It just yeah. goes up. To, and I'd never made that connection until you'd put that in the book yeah I mean that's not my finding that's uh, natural England and a couple of really huge longitudinal studies over several years where thousands of people have been surveyed about how close they live to green or blue space how regularly they interact with it um, and which environment has the highest impact on well-being and blue spaces 
comes out on top by a, a long while, actually. So we humans are just drawn to water, you know. If you're in a city and there's a river nearby, people will want to go sit by the river to have their lunch or have a walk or even a fountain, you know. We just are drawn to the movement and... You know, the one thing that I love about blue spaces, wherever they are, is that they're really sensory landscapes. And that's a tool that we can use for ADHD or for any kind of anxiety is to to use our senses when we're near water as a, a calming tool is to notice what the water looks like, its color, its clarity, its movement, what it sounds like if we can put our hand in it or our feet, depending on where we are, um, to touch it to smell it, if you're swimming in salt water, taste it. You know what I mean? You taste it on your skin when you come out afterwards. I usually don't have a shower until that night if I've been swimming. I like the feel and even the taste of salt water on me to let it sink into me. So it's a, a sensory landscape that we can not just immerse ourselves in, but we can use as a kind of mindfulness tool to draw our attention to those senses if we're feeling anxious. Yeah, if you're in an indoor space, get a glass of water. Look at it, what it's doing, the light in it, the movement in it. Have a drink. You know, even don't we always try to go for a drink of water when we feel like overwhelmed sometimes? So just water is something that balances us in many, many ways. Just interrupting this podcast to give a shout out to my sponsors. So I've always been a fan of protecting and supporting my own health with vitamins and supplements. And now as a busy mum of four kids, I try to help them as much as possible with their nutritional support. And now that I'm understanding ADHD more and more, I'm a real firm believer that as vital as it is to look after our physical health, we must also support our brain and emotional well-being as well. And for that reason, I've been taking omega-3 and 6 supplements for many years, which have undoubtedly supported my mood regulation and emotional well-being. And I've now been giving Equizin for my own children for several years now. And for that reason, I've been taking omega-3 and 6 supplements for many years, which have undoubtedly supported my mood regulation and emotional well-being. I've now been giving Equizin supplements to my own children for several years now too. They are a permanent fixture in our cereal cupboard to give them just before school. So Equizin are fatty acid specialists with a range of products to support brain function. Backed by clinical studies, Equizin supplements are a precise blend of omega-3, EPA and DHA, which contributes to the maintenance of normal brain function and are made from fish oil and omega-6 GLA from primrose oil. Like me, you may have some fussy eaters in the house. So now that I give my kids Equizin, I feel much more relaxed knowing they're getting these essential fatty acids in capsule form. Equizin's range of supplements are suitable for all members of the family, as well as for pregnancy and babies, and contain a balanced formula to really help get the natural benefits of fish oils without that fishy taste. My two youngest kids are super fussy and take the strawberry flavoured shoes every morning without any drama. Unbelievable. So to get discounted Equizin products for all the family, head to boots.com. 
that's boots.com and enter the discount code Kate15, that's K-A-T-E-1-5, Kate15, to get 15% off all Equizin supplements. And for more information about Equizin and all the products they've got, head to their website and learn how they can support you and your ADHD journey. Have you got any CBD oil fans out there or just curious to try a trusted CBD oil brand? Well, look no further. Our Remedy is a great new brand that I've recently come across and instantly love. Our Remedy is an award-winning wellness brand aimed at women's sleep, periods, stress and anxiety. So pretty much our lives, right? Our Remedy is made of unique blends of CBD, adaptogens and essential oils. Everything is organic cruelty-free and vegan and all their products are made here in the UK and packaged using eco-friendly materials making it sustainable for you and the planet. So not only do they do that but they also donate to charities for each product they sell. How great is that? I love the Pretty Peaceful CBD which I've been taking at night to help me sleep and is a mix of geranium oil which is great for anxiety, lavender oil which helps with sleep and orange oil which makes it taste really nice. And they've got another CBD oil mix which is called, wait for it, Moon Swings which is mixed with clary sage for period cramps and hormones. I swear by clary sage, one of my all-time favourite oils and mint to help it taste good. So if you are looking for something more natural to help you with sleep and hormones and want to make a switch to something you can take every day without any unpleasant side effects, our remedy is really worth trying. Within a week, I felt the difference. It was more of just an underlying daily calm that I noticed. So if you're ready to make a change to your lifestyle, I'd highly recommend giving Our Remedy CBD oils a try. Head to their website, which is ourremedy.co.uk. That's ourremedy, O-U-R-R-E-M-E-D-Y.co.uk. And to get £10 off your first order, enter the code ADHDPOD10. That's ADHDPOD with a 10, one O, and you'll get that discount. And now back to the show. The mindfulness side is, for me, is the biggest draw because there's not many things in life for me where I'm 100% present. Mm -hmm. And very often my brain's going a million miles an hour and thinking of lots of different things. But when I, especially getting into cold water. Absolutely. You can't have to, do anything else. <laughs> you can't do anything else apart from bits, do your breath work. You've got to see where you're going, where, you know, ducks, this. And that for me is just as big as the the sensation of the water, the sensory side. I love that the mindfulness for ADHD and water is can just be calming enough as it is, even if you don't want to actually swim. As I said, it's about, I mean, a lot of this is common sense, let's face it, but it's about remembering to do it and it's about having the intention to do it. So drawing our focus intentionally towards our breath or towards what the water looks like, sounds like, feels like, and how we are feeling next to it or in it, you know, just tuning in with ourselves and allowing our breath to match what the water is doing or to engage with it in a really purposeful way. Um, and my book, is I mean, I've been a mindfulness practitioner for a long time. So for me, it was a really natural fit to bring that. There's an awful lot of that in the book and lots of exercises that you can do in different 
settings in water not all of them involve having to get into it at all so um and the research shows us that views of water or being next to it improve our well-being to a really high level as well we don't have to always get into it i mean as i said i cycle along the seafront in brighton luckily just joined the university of brighton a few months ago after 10 years in london so Riding my little electric bike along the seafront compared to, you know, southern rail traffic jams. And I feel grateful every day. And I stop if you follow me on on Instagram on Blue Spaces UK. You can see me regularly waxing lyrical about, you know, stopping my little bike commute home to just look at the sea. Yesterday evening, I was I just stopped. I heard some music playing down on the lower part of the seafront. The sun was setting behind the West Pier. The waves were just doing their thing and I was just mesmerized and I stopped for three minutes um, to just look at it and breathe and appreciate it. And then I carried on, you know, so it's it doesn't have to be a big thing. Water is lovely in that it invites us in very softly for however long we want to be with it, you know, so it could be looking at it, stopping, noticing walking moving being still whatever you know so there's there's lots of kind of ways that you can interact with it depending on what you're feeling and and what you're doing yeah you make it sound getting into water very accessible so there's i mean there's two ends of the spectrum i love a cold water swim but also what's very sacred to me is a bath and i put my salts my magnesium salts and i put some essential oils I take a book and I hopefully don't drop it in the bath. That is for me is just as important. That's mm-hmm. relaxation of yeah. you know of of a salt water bath, mm-hmm. um, just as much as you know getting into cold water. And you you mentioned before about the vagus nerve, and I'm really interested in sort of the vagus nerve stimulation and what that does when you get into cold water. And I guess that the connection between the calming of the vagus nerve for ADHD because I know there is there is a connection can you talk a little bit more about that yeah I mean I say I'm not a a physiological expert but the the vagus nerve is is starting to be really huge in all kinds of health research they're really fine-tuned it and a lot of researchers would say that um, the big pharmaceutical companies for example emulate the working of the vagus nerve in antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs because the vagus nerve when it's stimulated it um, kicks off our parasympathetic nervous system which is our rest and repose and calming part of our our nervous system so it's they're starting to really find all kinds of correlations between the vagus nerve and as i say depression anxiety menopause symptoms um and things like ibs all the sort of you know inflammation is is starting to become really central in disease and ill health and unwell being <laughs> for want of a better phrase so if we can calm inflammation down in our body then we're really improving our health and there's loads of things that you know kick off inflammation but cold water in particular is something that stimulates the vagus nerve which then kicks off the system in our body that's anti-inflammatory 
Mm. So, so the vagus nerve is am i right in saying it's in our chest it's it's it goes everywhere no it starts it's it, it's in your around the side of your head um it comes down through your neck in your throat area and it wanders all down all through your body if you if you look up a, a photograph we're in a podcast unfortunately but if you uh, google vagus nerve diagram in the body you'll see vagus means uh, vagrant which means to wander so it's one of the biggest kind of wandering nerves in the body but face and neck and going up to your if you can't bear that at least going up to your chin so your throat is nicely covered in cold water that stimulates your your vagus nerve and you know some people would say maybe somewhat subjectively that you know a, a swim is not a real swim unless you get your face in so um dr mark harper who writes a lot about cold water and he's a, a medic would say yeah two or three dips of your face in for the vagus nerve stimulation is really important and if you can't bear to put your face in do that thing where you tilt your head side by side and just get the bit in under your ears in ah see that's so interesting because i thought i kind of knew that it went down like an axis but i thought that the big the most important area was to get your the upper chest in the water and that's where it really helps that's the most calming bit i, I don't know maybe i'm, I'm wrong yeah. no, but i always make an effort to just try and make sure i'm right you're immersed. immersed yes yeah. well immersion does does stimulate the vagus nerve more than anything but also it doesn't have to be for a long time i mean the research shows us mike tipton at, at portsmouth university would say the first three minutes in cold water are the ones that are the most beneficial because they're the ones that fire off all the responses in our nervous system. Um, so you don't have to do the hard yards. There's no kind of prizes for doing 20 minutes in six degrees water because the benefits come in the first three minutes. Yeah, that's why I got out after five minutes today. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's so many chats on all the kind of different groups and everything about how long and how far and how often and do you know what? It, it doesn't have to be long and far at all. The water is not a place for being competitive in my books. It is a place where you can be yourself and you take what you need from it on that day. Um, you know, and I don't. People think because I've written this book, I'm a channel swimmer or something. I'm not at all. I'm like a very um, safety driven groin to groin I don't go out far at all I go out to the boys maybe a couple of times in the summer if the tide is nice and it's not too wild out but I'm not um heroic at all and and I don't feel like apologetic or bad for that I just feel really chilled about that and I think well I'm not you know so don't buy into kind of those stories of comparing yourself to other people or you know what they're wearing what they look like it, it's you and the water it's nobody else there's a place where for you to be yourself you know um and and that's such a, a lovely thing to be able to do and the water doesn't judge us you know it's we ourselves who judge others and, and our own selves but the water doesn't so we don't have to put that onto it I 100% agree. And I felt that from the beginning, because when we when I first got in, there was women that had clearly been doing it for, for years. Mm -hmm. And I never felt that level of competitiveness, like I would feel probably with anything, it was almost, it was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm an amateur, I'm doing it, I still, even to this day of doing it for nearly two years, 
I feel the cold like there's, you know, nothing. And I make a whole big song, song and dance getting in and swearing and all of that. And I see other women just wade in like beautifully. And I never come, I just know that that's my body. And I also, yeah. yeah. And it's been the most freeing thing actually, because it's taken me on a journey of trying to remove comparison in other areas of my life as well. But that's the lovely, lovely thing about water is, it teaches things. It teaches us things about ourselves and lessons that we can bring into the rest of our day and our life. You know, and if you think of if you do swim with others, um, if you think of those people and how nobody really cares, you know, what anybody looks like or what they do, or if you went in for three minutes. I mean, we get into swim, and so there could be two or three people take off out far. And another few do a few laps of the the groins, and there'll be always a clutch of four or five people treading water about three meters out from the edge, having a good old chat. That's me. (laughs) Here, and then I might just take off on my own, you know, do a few strokes further away, where I I do need at some point in my dip to be on my own. And I might do a few head dunks, submerges under, or I might float on my back, or I might just, I, I'm a big fan of swimming into the sunstream. And then I, you know, I don't really think, oh, should I get out now? Is anybody else getting out? It doesn't cross my mind to just kind of get in or get out when you want to. And if, sometimes I go down to the sea and it looks a bit crashy. And I think, do you know, I don't have the energy for that now today. I don't want to fight it because maybe I didn't sleep well or I've had a really busy week. And in those cases, I might just sit on the shoreline, um, you know, and let the water lap. But I don't feel like a fight, maybe if it's doing some shore dumps or whatever. And I think, no, that's not my energy today. So I'm just going to have my tea and a chat. And I'm really happy to see people. It's beautiful. And it, I think it connects to self-acceptance, doesn't it? It's what you said then is just you you do how you feel on the day and, Again, it's sort of, you know, if you've slept well, how, you know, hormonally, how you're feeling, if you're, yeah, if you, if you're hungry, if you're not hungry, if you need time on your own or you need that connection, it feeds so much. And I, a lot, a lot of the time that, I mean, I come, I come out feeling gratitude. And I know you mentioned this in the book. I just, so many things that I used to, um, appreciate like materialistically I don't even think about anymore and for me I come out and I go wow we saw those that little family of ducks or I know it sounds so twee but I, I know think... but you you turn into like a cliche of loveliness <laughs> yes. when you're around water I mean I was there as I say yesterday coming back from work on the bike and I had to stop and look and the immense gratitude and it's about moments do you know what I mean it's not about sustaining a fake sense of kind of you know joy and kind of american isn't life amazing you know it's just about moments in your day or your week where it's nearly like a fuel injection like a shot of gratitude based on water and nature and a shot of it is like so much chat at the moment about booster jabs but for me water is like a booster jab of gratitude and happiness that keeps me going for a week or two you know if I can't get in regularly um and and that's what it does for you because it's just yeah it is it's very connective and very calming and and very fun as well there's days when it isn't a bit calming there's days when it's crazy and mad and busy and 
funny and all of that, you know. So, uh, and that's what's good about it. Oh, well, you know what, this is, has been an absolute joy to, to speak to someone like-minded as well, because I could talk about this all day. I've <laughs> seen it personally, I've seen it with friends, but also, you know, if whenever I'm connecting with people online, um, especially there's a lot of ADHD women's groups. And when you end up speaking to people, or I've had different clients, there seems to be this, I don't know, that people who've lived in cities have always gravitated back to somewhere in nature their nervous system is pulling them towards away from the chaos of a city and we just know that um, instinctively being by water will calm us whether we're on medication whether we are diagnosed whether we're, we suspect we've got ADHD so so many women out there that are, you know don't even know they've got ADHD but just do things intuitively to help calm their mind their bodies their souls whatever you want to call it and, and your book really illustrates that and um, it brings the personal side, but also all, you know, your fantastic um, academic research as well. So I lo absolutely loved it. It was a very easy read. It wasn't sort of um, too heavy. It was just a gentle. Yeah, no, um, it's conversational. It's, it was supposed to be conversational. Um, I can do that other sort of writing in my other job but that was the loveliest thing actually having permission to speak in my own voice in a book for once rather than have to you know be very heavy with academic references every three sentences so it was really nice and people that know me and even those who don't said it's just like you're here beside me having a chat Catherine which is the loveliest compliment of all I have to say um because that's what I wanted it to be a gentle encouragement is there more is there another book on the horizon um i've been asked that already i you know i don't really have much more to say about the water <laughs> get in it <laughs> um, i'm sure i can conjure up something else to say um i'm doing academic work at the moment I've, i'm just trying to get i'm trying to get involved with other academics so that we can create larger studies so that we have you know, the proper funding and evidence behind this to kind of prove what we know to be true um, to the wider world instead of people thinking we're just a bunch of crazy women in the sea or the lake or the river doing our thing because that's very gendered and very dismissive and patronising and we know it works. So it's up to a band of us to get out there and prove it, I think. so. Well, I can't wait to read that because I, for one... Um agree with you you know my my husband often calls me crazy you've been mm. back in the lake you're crazy what are you doing <laughs> but he sees it he does see it so he he knows but I think to have the the science the evidence the academic research to substantiate it and I think it's 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 needed more than ever and I think we're just at the beginning um in our lifetime I hope to see um you know sort of anywhere that that's helps people with mental health issues maybe have options of cold water submersion and cold showers and someone there is a you know a cold water practitioner or however you want to phrase it that this is just the beginning of a, a mental health revolution that is cheap easy to administer and doesn't need huge amounts of training so no, it just needs facilitation and for it to be on the radar in a more form i uh, the conference i spoke at yesterday had a GP from Devon who um, sees everybody coming in with everything from A to Z in terms of health and mental health. And 
he's involved in social prescribing of blue space um, interventions now. And, and that kind of work needs to get out more. So hopefully, um, you know, more doctor surgeries and so on. I mean, he, he gave a figure, I can't remember the exact numbers of the number of people on antidepressants in the UK was something, or the number of prescriptions, I think, was something like eight or nine million in 1996, and now it's 76 million. So, um, so this is it's serious, you know, the level of, I guess, yeah, whatever is going on in the world we're living in and how people are feeling and how it's manifesting in our bodies and minds. It needs research and and work thrown at it to help us as a human race, you know. And we also, we need to look after these blue spaces that make us feel well, because if we don't have them to get into because they're dirty or polluted or inaccessible, then we've lost a really important resource that's at our fingertips now. So we need to make sure that it's always there. But um, yeah, lots of work to be done and lots of conversations to be had and gentle shifts of ways of thinking and being um, so that we have it here for for many, many years to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we're going to come full circle and, you know, from thousands of years ago that, you know, our ancestors recognised the healing power of, of water. And, mm-hmm. you know, if we're at that point with, you know, antidepressants and medication that and hopefully we'll recognise that we've got it there at our disposal and it's free. And yeah, but maybe we're a little little bit off that yet. But I just think conversations like this, awareness, which is why I was so happy to bring you onto the podcast, because if anyone's listening out now that hasn't been swimming in you know cold, in cold water in the wild or in the sea whatever and um, I hope that they are inspired now because um, I've really enjoyed this conversation thank you so much my pleasure Kate thanks for having me and can you direct people to a website or Instagram where would you like people to find the book you can buy Blue Spaces the book anywhere that sells books uh, I leave it up to you to make your choices um and yeah, I'm on Instagram on at blue spaces underscore UK. Um, and from there, you'll see various other links to the, the different things that I'm doing. So yeah, brilliant. Oh, well, thank you so much, Catherine. And I will hope to speak to you again soon. My pleasure. So that's today's episode done. Did what we talk about resonate with you? I really hope you found some takeaways that may inspire you to make some small changes that enhance your daily life. And if you did find this episode insightful, please do consider sharing it. Knowledge and awareness is power, especially with ADHD. You can also head over to the show's Instagram page, which is ADHD Women's Wellbeing Pod, and join the community that's waiting for you there. And if this episode really did strike a chord, please do consider leaving us a review to enable more people who need to hear these conversations find the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and see you next time.